The title of this talk is The Empty Net of Dependent Arising. When we listen to Dharma talks or read Dharma books, dependent arising is often depicted as the heart of Buddhist teachings. Sometimes it's an explanation showing how the sense organs come into contact with consciousness, how the arising of Vedana, pleasant, painful, or neutral experience, conditions, craving, or aversive reactions, all the way to the arising of grasping, of becoming, being thrown into various life experiences or realms. As I explained in my talk on instant karma. This model is known as the 12 links of dependent arising. It shows how and where we tie ourselves into suffering and or how we can remain free, unbound. Another aspect of dependent arising is what we could call the general dependent arising of all things in life. When we deeply understand that all things, all beings, all events, all inner and outer experiences at all times arise due to a great variety of conditions and collapse again as soon as even just one condition changes, we can realize how empty and ungraspable all of, ri- of life really is, thus gaining an insight that is very liberating, since it diminishes or eliminates craving, grasping, and attachment. This, it's about this second aspect of dependent arising I want to speak tonight. And what I'll do is mostly just give you a a variety of different aspects and situations and examples where this can be seen. It'll be quite simple examples. This may help us, hopefully, to move from the understanding of this interesting idea to the actual realization that this is what's happening at every single moment of our life. And all of it serves one purpose only, the liberation from the deceptive and afflicting, even tormenting mind states and emotions. The true heart's release, as the Buddha puts it. Well, hopefully also prod us of or compel us to move from working on the content of our intellectual and emotional problems and issues to the exploration of the flow of our moment-to-moment experiences. To begin, I want to share a parable or metaphor and gleichness from the Avatamsaka Sutra, a so-called 
Mahayana discourse of the Buddha. It's meant to illustrate the complex interconnectedness of the universe, of our world. It's a picture I like very much. Far away in the heavenly abode of the great god Indra, there is a wonderful net which has been hung by some ingenious artist in such a manner that it stretches out infinitely in all directions. In accordance with the extravagant tastes of the deities, of the gods, the artist has hung a single glittering jewel in each of the eyes of the net. And since the net is itself infinite in dimension, the jewels are infinite in number. There hang the jewels, glittering like stars in the first magnitude, a wonderful sight to behold. If we now select any of these jewels for inspection and look closely at it, we will discover that in its polished surface there are reflected all the other jewels in the net, infinite in number. Not only that, but each of the jewels reflected in this one jewel is also reflecting all the other jewels so that there is an infinite reflecting process occurring. I find it's quite an amazing, quite a beautiful image, which here stands for the vast, intricately intertwined network of all things in existence. Within, as much as outside, nothing exists separately and independently of all other things, beings, and events of life. How astonishing, also maybe how tragic, that we human beings again and again feel as if we were isolated, independent beings amidst this interwoven network of life. within as much as outside. We know now that our brain doesn't simply have different areas which are responsible for specific life functions. Rather, our brain functions as a highly complex network of millions of correlations and connections interacting non-stop at extremely high speeds, even in our dreams, even in deep sleep. Countless inputs pour down on us every split second through hearing, through seeing, through smelling, through tasting and through the inner and outer body sensations. 200 per second are taken in and processed by our brain, they say. I don't know how they counted them, but a lot. Our bodies and our minds are intricate and complex systems of events and experiences. Our world, an equally complex net of happenings, which condition and influence each other moment to moment at high speeds. And the thousand dollar question tonight is, how concrete, how real, 
how graspable can people, can things, can experiences be, which change immediately as soon as a single condition changes and conditions change incessantly. A few simple examples. When in the computer system of Lufthansa, one, one untraceable bug or defect occurs, thousands of travelers may get stuck in the airports all over the world. So it happened not very long ago. There's one computer bug. They don't know what it is. Incredible effect. When in Iceland a volcano erupts, it may affect flights all over Europe and North America. That so happened a while ago. If in the year 2000, Al Gore would have received 560 votes more in Florida out of 101 million U.S. votes, Al Gore, rather than George W. Bush, would have been president of the U.S. This, in turn, might have meant a totally different fate. Probably, we don't know which kind of different fate. For millions of people, for example, in the Near East and elsewhere, who knows? Maybe no Syrian refugees, maybe something else instead. When one condition changes or falls away, the whole process of existence changes. Not only are we dependent on countless conditions, but we also contain or even are these conditions. The astronomer Professor Jan Stenflo describes this as follows. We're all part of a beautiful cosmic web. The carbon in our cells was made in the center of red giant stars. The iron in our blood has experienced supernova explosions. The common history that we share with the rocks, the trees, the air and the stars can be traced back to the Big Bang, a compact, hot state from which our universe has evolved. Yet somehow we manage to see and experience all this as a pretty static world a pretty solid body and a particularly a seemingly independent self or I completely separate from the network of dependencies and conditions. This way of seeing, this view may seem quite practical but it's in fact a fatal delusion. Since we will suffer whenever this deeply rooted sense of independent existence collides with reality. For example, for years we have a stable and safe job, then our company gets sold. One condition changes, and a month later the jobs are being cut including our own. Suddenly, all of life looks completely different. 
or our steady relationship is good, lasted for years, suddenly this handsome guy or this interesting guy or this interesting or good-looking woman shows up and our life is completely changed from one day to the next or may be completely changed. And sometimes it's even more shocking. Our heart, which quietly worked for many decades, collapses. One condition changes and abruptly our whole life changes. When our loved ones suddenly suffer or die, everything changes for us. And when our time has come, everything changes for them. An interesting question is, are we ready for any and all of this? And are we completely okay with it? Or will we be completely okay with it? I think that's a challenge. One of our jobs as practitioners is to find out, to find and to apply means which wake us up and bring us in tune with these realities. And the central question here is, how real is reality? Is it the way we intuitively perceive it and believe it to be? Or much less concrete? Much less in control? Less graspable? Less real? Or much emptier than assumed? Is it, in fact, empty of independent self-existence. So emptiness is not some kind of hole which we have to discover. It's not some state free of thoughts which we may experience in meditation or some mystic space out of which things arise and disappear again. Rather, it's a property or a characteristic, an Eigenschaft, of everything in existence. Empty of self-existence is an adjective. The characteristic of this clock, these flowers, this chair, of your body, of my body, of your feelings, of your mind, they are all empty of self-existence because independence of many conditions, they stay the same for only one split second, one split moment, before they change again. The great master Jetsongkapa wrote, Those who correctly understand the lawfulness of dependent arising of all things and completely recognize the emptiness of self-existence of everything have entered the path which pleases the Buddhas. The fact that all things are empty of a concrete and independent way of existing, of course, also means that they are all much more connected than we usually think. Here, once again, the famous quote by Martin Luther King about our mutually dependent 
connected connectedness. It's called the vision of interconnectedness. He says, it really boils down to this, that all life is interrelated. We're all caught in an inescapable net of mutuality, tied into a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly, affects all indirectly. <coughs> we are made to live together because of the interrelated structure of reality. Did you ever stop to think that you can't leave for your job in the morning without being dependent on most of the world? You get up in the morning and go to the bathroom and reach over for the sponge, and that's handed to you by a Pacific Islander. You reach for a bar of soap, and that's given to you at the hands of a Frenchman. And then you go into the kitchen to drink your coffee for the morning. That's poured into your cup by a South American. Maybe you want tea. That's poured into your cup by a Chinese. Or maybe you're desirous of having cocoa for breakfast. And that's poured into your cup by a West African. And then you reach for your toast. And that's given you given to you at the hands of a Swiss farmer, <laughs> not to mention the baker. And before you finish eating breakfast in the morning, you have depended on more than half of the world. End of quote. It's a network of human, social, and economic conditions and dependencies. And he adds, we are not going to have peace until we recognize this basic fact of the interrelated structure of all reality. It's really so obvious that everything that arises dependent on causes and conditions cannot have concrete independent reality or, in other words, is empty of independent self-existence. Another, I think, great example illustrating this processes of interdependency was written in 1908 by Lisa Wenger. It's a kind of children rhyme. Its origins date back to the 16th century. It should be very meaningful. My problem with this is that um, it's in Swiss German, <laughs> and many will recognize it. And there is no English equivalent that I know of, so I try to translate it, and with the help of Carol. It is called Jokkalisel Kapillisjötle. So, um, little Jack is sent out to shake the pear tree. Okay? <laughs> Little Jack does not want to shake the pear tree. He's probably too lazy or something. It doesn't explain. So the pears do not fall. The master sends out little doggy. He should go and bite little Jack. But little doggy won't bite little Jack. And little Jack won't shake the tree. And the pears, they do not fall. Now I'll jump the first part and go on with the shortened version of the ineffective measures. The master sends out little calf 
to go and lap up the little water. But little calf won't lap up little water. Little water won't extinguish little fire. Little fire won't burn little stick. Little stick won't beat little doggy. Little doggy won't bite little Jack. Little Jack won't shake the tree. And the pears, they do not fall. (laughs) Now finally, one crucial condition gets changed. The master goes out himself to straighten things up. In the verses, he he resorts to quite drastic measures, which I will not specify here. (laughs) But with this one condition altered, everything changes. Now suddenly, little calf will lap up little water. Now little water will extinguish little fire. Little fire will burn little stick. Little stick will now beat little doggy. Therefore, little doggy will bite little jack. And little jack now does shake the tree. So the pears, they do now fall. That's exactly what the Buddha had in mind. A few years before Lisa Wenger, <laughs> when he said, and this is important, okay? <laughs> when this is, that comes to be. With the arising of this, that arises. And when this is not, that does not come, in, come to be. And with the cessation of this, that ceases. Conditions, conditions. It's a a dance of conditions. That's what we are. That's what life is. Sharon Salzberg says, Life is like an ever-shifting kaleidoscope. A slight change and all the patterns alter. Each and every one of our moment-to-moment experiences arise in dependence of conditions which meet in a specific way, like this one right now. A unique momentary experience arises, a process that repeats itself continuously in rapid succession, giving the impression of a solid world. Similar to the situation in a movie through the sequence of 25 pictures per second and a certain sequence of sound and voices and noises, a deceptively authentic-seeming reality is being experienced, which makes us laugh. I mean, which can make us shake us from laughing and cry, producing a great variety of mental states feelings and emotions within us, even though in reality none of these events are actually happening when one looks more closely. And if you ever have seen how uh, they do movies, none of the stuff happens. It's like they play one-minute sequences in no order, and in a way that's put together, you know, and we get all incredibly entranced by it, if it's an interesting movie. Everything in the movie, as much 
as in reality, is like lightning in the summer cloud, like a bubble on the river, like a dream, as the Buddha points out in the Diamond Sutra, or like a rainbow, as Joseph pointed out the night before. That's, by the way, a practice that is often recommended in the Buddhist Vajrayana tradition, to see oneself and the world as a dream, as mere appearance, so as not to grasp things and experiences in such compulsive manner, so that we stay free within. Free or freer of the endlessly grasping mind, leading to endless suffering. The Buddha pointed out, whoever sees dependent arising understands Dhamma. Whoever understands Dhamma sees dependent arising. Giving up grasping and attachment brings the end of suffering. Why does it seem so difficult it's even, you could say, we don't even have to let go of something that so far belonged to us. It's like not the letting go of something that in any way was truly ours. We only need to see through the delusion and stop grasping. Again, just as in a movie, let's say, the attachment to a pretty attractive, friendly person in that movie with whom we just fell in love while the film was on. Even when we stay in the movie theater searching for that person, we wouldn't get any closer to him or her. So we have to let go of something we never had. Since all I want to do in this talk is to make us more aware of the immediate omnipresent, omnipresent reality of dependent arising, I'll elaborate with another example, which is quite well known to most of us. Our moment-to-moment -moment experience arises in dependence of many things and also or mainly in dependence of 18 causes or conditions by means of our six sense organs, and Joseph has already explained this, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, mind, we contact the six different kinds of objects, of sight, sound, smell, taste, sensations, and thoughts, feelings, whereby the six kinds of consciousnesses or of knowing arise. To be more exact, independence of the open eye, of space, of light, and of attention, as much as a visible object that's in view, contact and visual consciousness arise. Millions of times, you know, not just once, millions of times, as long as the eye is open and those conditions are there. Example, flower. There's form and color, space, light, in an eye, flower is being seen or experienced. 
if a single one of the conditions is missing, the process doesn't happen. Eyes damaged, or eyes closed, or no light, or no attention because the attention is elsewhere. No visual experience. Please bring mindfulness to seeing, to a lot is, is happening there moment to moment. And then, obviously, independence of the ear, again, of space, of attention, and an object, and a hearing aid for some, and a sound object. Contact happens, and hearing, the experience of sound, is unavoidable. I try not to hear this. It's unavoidable if the conditions are in place. And if I try to hit the gong, which I sometimes do, and then miss the gong, you can't hear it. It's obvious, but it shows so much the process of dependency. Same process with bodily sensations. Then, for example, at lunchtime, smell of curry, nose, attention, contact. Smell consciousness comes into being. That same curry on the tongue, attention, contact, taste is experienced. Same with heart-mind. A thought, a feeling, contact, thinking or feeling is experienced. Conditioned by the six sense organs and the six objects, when they come into contact, the six kinds of experience arise. Seamlessly, moment to moment to moment to moment. And again, these processes happen so fast and our habit to identify with our experiences is so deep that we don't even notice it. We just think, oh, pretty flowers. Oh, the bell is ringing. Oh, curry, I love it. All of it seems so real. All of it seems so concrete. While in fact there has never been more than these processes of dependent conditioned arising and disappearing. No real concrete flowers out there. No real sound. No real gong or bell. No real curry. Just conditioned curry experience. All of it is empty of itself, not to be found when we begin to look more carefully. It's akin to a mirage in the desert or the seeming appearance of water on a highway in the hot summer air. Sometimes on the asphalt you see this reflection from a distance. The closer we come, the less there is. There's nothing to be grasped at nothing really real. The oasis in the distance appears but is empty of really being an oasis. The French poet Paul Valéry wrote, God, God created everything out of nothingness. The nothingness still shows through. I like that idea. And yet reality is somewhat more real than a mirage because it has effects. Unsere Wirklichkeit wirkt. 
I did explain that in my talk on instant karma a few nights ago, and I'll say more about it in a minute. But first, it's important to see how we make a seemingly real, solid reality out of fleeting, empty appearances, which cannot fulfill our hopes and expectations. That's really where the dukkha is. It seems to work for a while, and then it fails again. And if we grasp, we suffer. It's so obvious that we would be free if of all mental and emotional suffering if we were 100% in tune with the actual nature of all things, with the way they really are. Still exposed to bodily, physical aches and pains, aches and pains, but completely free of reactive emotional suffering. Then Sylvia Burstein's statement would apply or applies. Pain is unavoidable. Suffering is optional. And I think we start to see that as we practice here. What can be done? I see two practice approaches. One is we practice vipassana or other insight meditations like Dzogchen or Mahamudra with genuine interest in the nature of experience, such as its empty nature, we need to recognize in our immediate experience that our personal world arises moment to moment out of constantly changing conditions, which in turn must lead to deeper equanimity and more inner balance. I think that's an important piece. That's what we're mostly practicing here, I hope. The second practice approach uses reflection. I see this more and more as quite really important for us to cultivate right view in our daily life. So we reflect, we think about these facts. We listen to talks about we read articles and books on the topic. So we begin to see these processes of dependence and conditionality everywhere throughout our days, throughout our daily life. When we look at flowers, when we see a car or when we drive a car or when we ride our bicycles and move in the traffic, when we meet people, when we look at politics, listen to the news, when we travel, when we eat and digest, and of course when we're caught in difficult emotions or when we enjoy wholesome, beautiful mind states, we can increasingly become aware of these processes. It just takes genuine great interest, interest in inner freedom then equanimity and connectedness increase in our hearts and minds. And we find ourselves more often happy without reason, as Tsongni Rinpoche puts it. It's one of his favorite statements. Be happy without reason. What's essential here is that the recognition of emptiness or, 
or better of non-self-existence, really does bring equanimity and balance. Otherwise, it's meaningless and it's probably not genuine. It's this old story about the monk who had spent years of practice in retreat on the mountain. And one day, he appeared at the monastery down in the valley to talk to the master. And there, with some pride, he described his realization of emptiness. The master listened carefully. Then he took a stick and hit the monk over the head. The monk immediately got very upset and angry. Whereupon the master said, Astonishing how quickly emptiness can get angry. (laughs) So in fact, actually, you know, I think life constantly brings us tests of our (laughs) understanding of our realization. So that's, yeah, there's no shortage of tests. (laughs) When we hear all the stuff about emptiness, but do not understand it properly, we may conclude that how we act in life isn't really so important since all is empty anyway. And we we neglect ethical conduct, generosity, compassion. But when we understand that empty of independent self-existence means that all things arise in a complex process of causes and conditions, a lawful process of causes and conditions, we see that that there is a strict lawfulness. Cows don't give birth to little crocodiles, or rarely. From tulip bulbs, we don't get asters. Vinegar makes things sour and not sweet. And each time, not sometimes, and sometimes not. And out of genuine generosity comes a sense of joyful connectedness, and not grudge or greed. And of anger and hate, we get inner constriction and not joy. It's quite obvious the lawfulness of cause and effect of karma. So then we can understand Jetsongkapa when it says, and I want to close with this in a simplified translation. If you do not combine your practice with the insight into the nature of reality, you will be unable to cut the root of suffering. Therefore, reflect on dependent arising. In reverse, when you have understood the way in which emptiness of self-existence appears as self as dependent arising, you will not anymore get threatened by extreme views which cause suffering. Then he goes on, when you have correctly understood these aspects of the path, rely on solitude and generate the power of joyful perseverance. Quickly realize your essential goal, my children. Thank you for 
your interest and attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.